Hello, feeble-minded humans, and welcome to Set Podcast to Stun, the podcast where we explore, explain, and enjoy the Star Trek franchise. I'm Clint the Q, joined by Captain Corey and Chancellor Emily. Kapla! How are you two doing? Kapla. How's it going, Clint? Kapla to everyone. I'm doing well. How about you, Cor? Oh, I can't complain. Uh, B4. C9? <laughs> E6. Did I get you yet? Oh no! You sunk my bird of prey! <laughs> yeah, I really like that your guys' birds of prey have really cool uh, designs on the bottom of them. They look like a cool tattoo I'd like to get one day. Thanks, man. I painted this one myself. Instead of putting just a regular bird of prey on the bottom, I uh, did one on fire. That's how you no, know it's sweet. cool. Yeah, the fire makes its giant plasma ball more deadly when you fire it at Federation ships. But it, it does move five miles an hour, which is kind of an issue. <laughs> so yeah, that's a good time um, to get into our episode today. We are reviewing The Balance of Terror, a landmark Star uh, a landmark Star Trek episode. Did you almost say Star Wars? <laughs> I almost said Star Wars. There are so many times where I almost say Star Wars on this podcast. It's a wonder I don't say it more. I'd like to go back in time to the part where I forgot Picard's name and y'all gave me crap and make the Nelson ha-ha sound because of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just sacrilege. <laughs> I'm 6'5", and a, a joke I like to have with my girlfriend is whenever I get in a car, because my car's not hu super big, but I'm super tall, I'm like, this is the t biggest car I could afford on my salary. <laughs> if you remember that scene from The Simpsons. That's Corey's whole life. So what's this episode about, Clint? <laughs> yeah, let's get into this episode. We're having a little technical difficulty. I might have to edit this out, but yeah, we're not hearing each other as well as we could be. Because of the internet, we've tried our best, but anyway. Okay, so here's what's happening in this episode. In their first appearance, the Romulans attack a Federation outpost. As Kirk risks war to confront the attackers, Spock deals with racism from the Enterprise crew. All right. So what'd you guys think about this episode? Corey, did you like it? Yeah, I, I, I thought it was cool. I liked it a lot. What about you, Emily? Did you like this episode? I loved it. Top five easily. Oh my God. I mean, the stars have aligned. <laughs> we all like it. The trifecta has been completed. We're all Did going we to, finally yeah. agree? This is Ascend. only the second time this has happened. And the first time the universe deleted that from memory. Miri was the only other episode I... we all agreed on. Yeah, you're going to jinx it because probably this episode will get fucked up now, too. Well, the internet has already been acting up for Corey, so it's already trying. Yeah. yeah. I tried really hard to, because I don't read anything about any of the episodes, because um, I've never seen any of them before, and I don't want to have any kind of an yeah. idea about the episode before we watch it. But I just know that this one, um, like this one and the City on the Edge of Tomorrow, like those are two just, they've just entered pop culture, the Trouble Tribbles, like those three are kind of ones I just knew existed. So I guess I kind of knew that this was going to be a good episode, but also it's referenced in Futurama. Yeah, I mean, it's iconic because it. the first thing it does is it introduces this classic villain. I think the Romulans are probably the best villains in Star Trek, if you, I mean, compare them. They're, they're up there with the Borg fighting for, you know, top spot. I have a backwards. So the first Star Trek that I watched, like, I mean, I remember seeing stray episodes as a kid, but the first one I watched was DS9 and the Romulans are allies, but the plot line is like, I can't believe we're allies with them. And I'm like, 
Okay. So I backwards bumped into it, but I think you're right that the Romulans are great villains. They're very good at doing this thing that we've wanted Star Trek to do, which is to give the villains like goals and agency and like a fully fleshed out personality and motivation. And even in this little bit that we get here, I think we get. And, and to add on to that, Emily, like this episode also gives us some actual like historic landmarks to kind of sink our teeth into because any mm-hmm. episode before mm-hmm. this was like just dudes in space and ladies in space just flying around um, solving crimes and, and, you know, kicking God's butts. But this was like <laughs> the first one that like builds builds a, a type of lore with like a war that happened a hundred years ago and a hidden enemy. Um, and this episode has a ton of stuff that was kind of the genesis for where the first series of Star Trek, chronologically Star Trek Enterprise, where it was heading towards was the stuff mentioned in this episode. And obviously in TNG, the Romulans become a huge, huge deal. So this is like a cornerstone episode for establishing the lore and the world building in Star Trek. I love that. I love the lore. I love the world building that went on in this episode. Yeah. And I think that, Corey, like you say, this is one of, I think we got like tiny hints of it with Kirk where they're like, Kirk did this five years ago. But having this be like a big part of the series, like this is why Star Trek is iconic, is that that hinting of such a bigger, complex, rich world. It just, it was fascinating. Yes, yeah, I totally agree with you guys. And I've complained about this before or mentioned this before. It's the same thing. <laughs> but so far, we've only been visiting like worlds, right? Where, where other races have been, but they're dead worlds. Mm-hmm. They're kind of abandoned. We've been just getting these kind of scraps of what this whole universe is like. We haven't really seen any alien civilizations, right? We've never gone to another world and met a whole new group of people. We've met some aliens or, uh, you know, one off here and there. But now we're actually, like, encountering another alien civilization. And sure, we're only getting, like, one ship of them. But we're at least getting, like, hey, there's other alien civilizations out in this world. And, and so, yeah, it's great to kind of get this little bit of, of world building. It's much more dynamic. And I never thought about it until you mentioned it just now, Clint. But it's sort of the way history is presented. Like in K-12, they're sort of like, Europe is doing all this cool stuff. And the rest of the world is just empty. And so it seems like the rest of the world is this blank page. And Europe is doing all this amazing shit. And why does everywhere else suck? And then... <laughs> If you're alive longer and you encounter more history, you realize that, like, no, every civilization has, like, a dynamic, rich, long trajectory, and you can tell these stories from different perspectives, and it just becomes so much more exciting. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I also think that it's not necessary to explain every little thing to the audience. It's pretty vague about the conflict that the Romulans and the, and the Terrans had, the Terran Alliance had, like, 100 years ago. It was not explained very thoroughly in this episode, and it's mm-hmm. never actually really explained because Enterprise was supposed to lead up to that war. And I want to talk about that Earth-Romulan conflict that they mentioned 100 years ago a little bit later on, but that was supposed to be the terminus for Enterprise. That was supposed to be their fifth season, and they just never got to it because they no one, no one watched that show. Um, uh, oh, that's interesting. I actually, I remember reading something about Star Wars, uh, not to make fun of Clint for mixing them up, but... 
<clears throat> in the very first three original movies, there's no explanation of why um, is it that I want to say the Enterprise. Uh, who the Empire? The Empire. Thank you. I'm I'm so yes. keyed in on Star Trek right now. I can't even think of it. But there's no explanation of why the Empire is evil. They just are, and so it this unnamed conflict just gets you so invested in the characters and the characters become this like stand-in for bigger issues of good and evil and then the reboots in the 90s took that up and were like well they're bad because of this geopolitical thing that nobody gives a shit about that we're gonna explain in two (laughs) or three movies and that's like one of the reasons that it tanked that was like nobody gives a shit about like taxes and things <laughs> they were it's like the most boring reason for being evil is that like it's just like oh i hate their tax policy well and like <laughs> it's unfair tax policy it's, it's like there's these are real things that happen and nobody pays attention to because it's boring even when it's impacting them in their real life what makes you think they're gonna pay attention mm-hmm. to it in fiction <laughs> Yeah, I think audiences really love that stuff. They love not having things spoon fed to them. Um, and I think a good example of that mm-hmm. is uh, like Tolkien's universe, the Lord of the Rings, things that are never yes! really described. Oh, I fucking is like, love Lord of the Rings. Is a uh, no, it's it's awesome. Like, and this is like a perfect example of like what what the first you know 1970 Star Wars did. Um, and some stuff in this episode, we're getting a little bit out of the weeds here, but I'll try and I'll try and link it. But like in Tolkien's universe, you have the is it the Maiar that's like uh, Gandalf. And I'm sorry, Radagast. you broke up. Ask that again. Um the 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 Maiar, which is like Gandalf and Radagast and Saruman. Uh-huh. You got you know those guys like those yeah. wizards. Like their powers, oh, uh-huh. their powers are never explained, and they're, it's never really got like explained like who these guys are, unless you read like the Silmarillion. But it's never explained who they are, where they come from, why they have these powers. Um, and then another cool part of it is that there's actually two more wizards. They're called the Blue Wizards, and they're like sent off to go do something else. And it's just mm-hmm. they're just you know mentioned in passing. Um, but like fans have like loved speculating like what those two wizards did, even though Tolkien never said it, it was just the mystery of what they did that, um, people really, really loved. So yeah, anyway, people, people like kind of having things a little vague and, you know, room for fan theories and whatnot. Yeah. And, um, and to continue this topic just a little bit, this is kind of what, uh, JJ Abrams talks a lot about oh, called the mystery, mystery box. box. Yeah. Yeah. And I really hate his the way he uses it because I think he abuses the concept of of the mystery box, and I don't think he he uh, he I don't think he plays it well. Well, explain. And that's a topic for a whole new explain thing. Explain the concept, Clay. Um, well, the concept is is that just what Corey said. Everyone loves a mystery, right? And having a mystery is more fun than. Like what what J.J. Abrams says is, you know, he loved magic as a kid. As a kid, he went to a magic shop. And what happened is they had these mystery boxes where there were all these different kind of little tricks and, you know, magic tricks in it. You bought it for five bucks. You don't know what's in it. And then you open it up and you get this huge surprise. But J.J. Abrams has never opened his mystery box because he likes the feeling it gives him, you know, this feeling of not knowing what's in there and the feeling of this you know, mystery, he, he could, anything could be in there. 
he loves that so much. And then that's a big central kind of thesis to the way he makes movies. So I can tie J.J. Abrams and the mystery box directly back to what this episode, because I like, yeah, 100%. And what J.J. Abrams needs is a partner who has a different perspective, because I think the mystery box is a good way to build a vehicle and to build like a plot and like the forward motion for a story but you need someone who understands the role of story in people's lives and jj abrams doesn't do that and so he doesn't know and, how and to i just want to mention that we are available for employment if, if yeah if <laughs> yes, exactly. all of us have liberal arts degrees so please employ us <laughs> uh no but like so when i say the role of story in people's lives like uh, people need movies that will make them feel comforted or that will make them feel challenged that like stories fulfill a societal role to communicate values. Um, I saw something on social media the other day that said that fanfic is so popular because our cultural traditions of storytelling have been taken over by corporations and fan fiction is a way of like reclaiming that like stories are a way of bonding around the campfire and communicating values and telling people how to live their lives. And so like, that's where mythology comes from. That's where religion comes from. That's where storytelling come from. And so like Harry Potter fits this thing, Star Wars fits this thing. Uh, the, if anyone wants to super nerd out, which nobody does, but Joseph Campbell's the hero with a thousand faces says that like every story has these plot arcs that, play out across the world because stories fulfill this function. So like JJ Abrams mystery box is a great starting point and he needs a creative partner to bring in the like satisfying conclusion. And I will say Mm, the way that this ties into this episode is that there are so many references to mythology. Yeah. But, but also like there is a huge mystery in this episode. It's like, who are these Romulans? We get a map and we get a dotted line on that map with the words neutral zone on it. And there's the Romulan empire on one side and there's the Terran Alliance. Cause the Federation hasn't, has it formed? I, I don't really know. Um, but like, there's no real explanation to why that map is there, but that's not the important thing. The important thing is something that the audience can identify with, which is there is a, I don't know if we want to draw these parallels because I, but, but like there is an iron curtain, right? There is something that is between us and them. And we don't really know that much about them. Um, but this episode is really effective in humanizing them and showing that, you know, the captain on the other side, as we'll get into talking about, is not into being this warmongering, um, you know, pillager, but that's kind of the role that he's been placed in. And I don't know how many if how close this is to like cold war references i got more of like a world war ii uh submarine uh combat more yes, of a reference i have the exact same note mm-hmm. exactly yeah yeah me too i got that same vibe you did but cool. i love your idea of it being connected to the cold war because i can absolutely see that as well i think it kind of takes elements of both of like i definitely think it's kind of reaction to world war ii mm-hmm. and what's happening you know, with the Iron Curtain, because it's the same thing, right? Where they're, they're two cultures who refuse to interact with each other, um, just like kind of America and, and Russia back then. So, Well, they're two cultures that refuse to interact with each other, but there are parallelisms and similarities and, and like humanism on both sides. And I think, too, to Corey's point, 
there's a good balance between the mystery that makes this really interesting. Like, who are these people? I'm curious. I want to know more. But there's still the satisfaction of an individual story being wrapped up. Like, the wider mm -hmm. world still has a lot of questions and curiosity and who are these Romulans and what is this history and tell me about this war. But the individual story of Kirk's encounter with them has a satisfying end. And I think that's J.J. Abrams' problem. Like, he doesn't do the individual story. He just does mm -hmm. the world building. And there's a way to do, you know, mystery in a good way. I like when you get, like, it's good when it's around the edges of a story. And you get, just like Tolkien does it, you get kind of teases and tastes of it. And it it enriches the world. But it's not great when you have your face shoved in the mystery the whole time and then it never it never resolves itself that's unsatisfying right the, yeah. the audience just gets enough that they need to know the context to jump into the thing that we really care about is how the the individuals in it um operate all right so getting into the actual episode now um cory why don't you take us through it yeah so this is not a very complicated episode uh and, and that's kind of why I like it, because there's not a lot of scenes, um, like individual scenes, but the scenes themselves have a, have a lot of meat in them. Uh, the, mm -hmm. the episode starts out at a wedding, and I was reading that it, it's probably a Catholic wedding, which is kind of interesting because uh, this... Well, I don't know. I don't know how good my source is, but it was that, like, <laughs> what, what the lady is doing up at the altar, she's doing something kind of Catholic-y. <laughs> but like apparently in the sixth Janice, oh. Janice was in this episode is it the yeah. veil because normally in catholic weddings like super catholic ones you kneel for part of it she well Janice was like lighting candles right is that what you were talking about no like the lady's like she she's doing something with her arms and her head i don't know i didn't read the thing that well it was just but the the uh the, this is like the only time you see a, a wedding um performed by a captain apparently captains can't do weddings like they haven't been able to since the early or 20th century that's like banned <gasps> no so, yeah. i feel so betrayed pop culture has miseducated me <laughs> so <Why>? oh! <laughs> oh my well my poor ears <laughs> when was when was kennedy president 60 60 because he was like Two? the first catholic president yeah yeah and like catholicism 61 was not to very 63. popular yeah so 61 to 63 so he would have been dead a couple years but it would have felt like a very um i don't know like you know the um defense against marriage act got defeated and then like a handful of years later we see all these gay characters happily married in pop culture so it would have been something probably similar to that to be like our first Catholic president. And then a few years later being like Catholics are okay. One thing about the, um, the wedding episode, cause it's like two crew members we've never met before that are getting married and uh, spoiler. So you no, know one, one of them's going to die. So Kirk is what's the verb ministering, overlooking, uh, doing, doing the wedding officiating officiating Thank the you, wedding Clint. officiating uh but one thing i wanted to point out and we haven't really talked about it i don't think but it's something that we probably all noticed is the light bar on the eyes and it was really really heavy in this scene do you guys know what i'm talking about uh, yeah mm -hmm. there it's, it's i love very it. 60s 
Yeah. It is. <laughs> it's like a super strong Instagram filter where it's super dark, but then it's only on Kirk's eyes when he's like reacting. Uh, it's super dramatic, very 60s. No, I love it. What a millennial it's way so of explaining, explaining that. <laughs> I am a, I'm an elder millennial as yeah. a comedian. Elisa Schlesinger has described it. <laughs> the wedding scene got me to thinking how many real weddings in, in real world have been done in a Starfleet uniform? Because they're both wearing their uniforms. They're not like dressed up in anything. They're just in their uniforms. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there's been at least a couple that where people have been all in their in their reds and yellows um and they've done the wedding that way i'd do it just saying <laughs> uh well unfortunately the the wedding is interrupted because there has been an attack on an outpost and there we, we find out that these are outposts that are along the neutral zone there's like eight outposts or something like that and some mysterious force no one knows who it is, is destroying these outposts. So they have to end the wedding and they all go to into into alert mode. They go to battle stations um, to try and get over there to, to stop the outposts from being destroyed. But they don't, they're not in time. They, all the outposts get destroyed, basically. Um, it's at this point that we meet a new con officer, a new, a new dude sitting to um, Sulu's left. And... Is he an asshole? Yes, he is. Because everyone that's sat in that chair so far has just been insufferable. But yeah, that's just basically how the episode like starts. They're, they have to discover who is destroying these outposts. And it turns out that it's Romulans. And then basically the entire episode is a cat and mouse game. As we kind of alluded to earlier, it's it's very much like... Uh, like the like World War Two submarine movies where it's like a destroyer versus a submarine. Everybody's very quiet most of the time and captains are making these tiny little tactical moves. And that that's where this episode really shines is the decisions that the that the two captains of, of both ships have to make to kind of outmaneuver each other because they're both equally matched. Yeah. It is it so the wedding cold open, I initially was like, What the fuck is this? And then the wedding gets interrupted because they're like battle stations people are being killed and I came around to really love that as like a slice of life being interrupted by these warlike activities and then mm-hmm. the the submarine parallel is so great um I think yeah. there's a lot of movies in pop culture like U-Boat 77 or whatever oh with Harrison Ford and, yeah and there's one that's like super classic is the is hunt, hunt for, for red, red October? October? Yeah. 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 But like in World War One, that was like, you know, submarine battles are real things and like ships could find the submarines. But if the submarines were on the bottom, it didn't make sounds. They could hide. And they kind of replicate that in the way that the Enterprise is encountering the Romulan ship with its cloaking device. And... The cloaking device is super interesting. One, it's like the they don't call it that, but it's the first time we see it. And two, we get like our first techno babble, which I feel like we haven't really had a lot of techno babble. But here they they're like, how could the cloak become invisible? And they offer this like quasi scientific explanation of like, well, the selective refracting of light. And I really love that. I thought that was like. Some excellent sci-fi, some excellent uh, explanation. Clint, do you want to give us a uh, like the pros and cons of 
both civilizations weapon systems real quick like what's the enterprise good at and what's the romulan ship good at i yeah i the best i can i mean the romulan ship it can turn invisible and then it has just like a really powerful like plasma ball that it shoots at ships completely destroys them but it just takes a ton of energy right so i mean it's a risk reward thing to shoot off their their big energy ball, they have to become visible for a while. Um, and I don't know. I mean, the Enterprise, I mean, they just, it seems like they can go faster. They might be a little bit more scientifically minded, so they have better sensors. And then there's phasers. What what were you thinking? Corey? No, 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 That that's it. That's pretty much it, too. Like, I thought that the Enterprise had, because uh, if both captains are matched and they have two different weapon systems, what did the Enterprise have? And I guess they had, uh, they had speed, Man- and they... Maneuverability. They didn't... Exactly, and they didn't have the crutch, like, the cloaking was kind of a crutch, because their entire um, weapon, their, their entire combat strategy was based around that cloak, and if they couldn't use the cloak, or they were suspected of having the cloak, then their entire advantage is gone. So even though the Enterprise doesn't have one, they're still able to... Um, make up for it with with having sensors on all the time and being able to not max out all their energy to do like one attack and i and i was kind of thinking and i don't know how 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 wrong this is but um if we're going to take a cold war approach where you have like the russians who have at that time the americans were like infinite amount of nuclear capability we have no idea how many like nuclear weapons these guys have um they're 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 hidden back there they could be you know giving a nuclear weapon to everybody for christmas for all we know um but we happen to have really good scientists and we're very adaptable and we have a lot of like you know money to you know meet any kind of new issue that comes up we don't know what the russians are developing though don't know how much that came up in this episode if this was what the writers were trying to get at but um it did seem like a, a i don't know I don't know how much of a stretch it is. Well, and nukes, nuclear weapons, I mean, they did play a big part of the, in this episode, too. They were talking about, you know, using atomic weapons against each other, and then atomic an atomic weapon is used in this battle. So th- I definitely think there's that specter and, um, you know, the idea of this Cold War where nukes might be used. I definitely think that was prevalent in the episode well there, you know, there I also didn't... ends up i think of a stronger cold war parallel and a nukes parallel is that for whatever reason the enterprise cannot connect with the romulan ship to communicate with them directly and so it becomes this like game of chicken and bluffing back and forth and they're trying to outwit each other and there's several lines where they're like oh i won't underestimate him again but like if Kirk and the other captain could communicate, all of this tension would possibly go away. And I think that for the 60s, that's a really strong and maybe unorthodox stance on the Cold War is not to portray them as evil, but portray them as similar. And the real problem is the lack of communication. That, that is a great point. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree with that. So we also see that at the end, right? Because we get the final communication between the Romulan commander and Kirk and the Romulan commander saying, hey, you know, we're not that different. Like in another, you know, universe, we could have been friends, but it's basically like our duty to our civilizations is the is causing us to war with each other. Yeah, and we have given Star Trek so much shit over bad writing, but there was 
excellent writing in that scene. Mm. Uh, there's, like, I feel like in that scene we have this strong theme of, like, the dark side of duty. And there's one line that I wrote down where Kirk says, like, what, uh, he's like, hey, we're going to beam you on board and we'll treat you for injuries. And the Romulan goes, no, don't do that. That's not our way. And Kirk, mm. Kirk says, what good would it do to die? And they're both talking about duty, but they're defining it differently. It, that scene was written so well. Like, we, <laughs> I want to pause and say, good job, because, man, have we ripped into them for bad writing before. Yeah. The, the last parallel I wanted to make to the Cold War is there is actual mention of spies, too, being on the Enterprise, which was obviously oh, yeah. a huge concern. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I didn't actually really understand that scene. Um, let, let, act, to, to do that, let's, let's establish Mr. Stiles. Uh, Mr. Stiles, as we said, is the new con officer, and they, they tend to rotate that one weekly with someone else. Oh, yeah. well, and... Also, in this, se- or in this episode, Ohura Stiles gets removed and Kirk just goes, Ohura, take over. And I'm like, okay, so obviously you need no special skills for this, <laughs> which I guess is why we have a different person in that seat every time. <laughs> what? Maybe Ohura is just very competent. It's, hey, you know what? They're not mutually <laughs> exclusive, Clint. <laughs> I don't know. It's like the drive through at fast food. Like, and maybe that's kind of the, the equal position. Anyone working at the restaurant can do that one. I did it. That was my first job. Yeah. Talk about drive through. Um, Mr. Oh. Styles, uh, if we can just Sorry. describe him a little bit. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was just going to say, my first job was cleaning houses. <laughs> Clint, cleaning what was houses. your first job? I worked at a card shop. A card shop? Like a Hallmark yeah, greeting like- card? No, I'm sorry, like Magic the Gathering and Yu-Gi-Oh! Boo. Like a, a gaming shop. Yeah. Boo, this I was, hate that you immediately the... went into a job you liked instead of some terrible <laughs> manual labor like the rest of us. This was the first inclination I ever had that Clint was a major nerd. It was just just now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Corey, I met Clint when he was like 19 and he... For Burning Man, be... though. 100% <laughs> that photo, if Clint doesn't cut this bit out, which I think he will. I will. <laughs> He's cruel like that. <laughs> so Corey, get back to what you're talking about and do it in a way that can't that Clint can't edit this part out. <laughs> okay. So Mr. <laughs> Mr. Styles is if we can call him an, an asshole, that would be really good because he's a huge bigot. Clint had green hair when he was uh in college and um <laughs> and yeah, so he's he, much like the um the the crew member in his position in the last episode. He's like questioning Kirk's orders, and he's like framing this entire conflict through his point of view because apparently a hundred years ago he had ancestors in this human Romulan war, and he's still pretty beat up about it. Which I I don't really. That's kind of like if I found out one of my relatives was in the Spanish American War, I wouldn't. Be, and they died in it. I wouldn't be all like, oh, those Spaniards, they're. Dang, dang them <laughs> yeah but anyway he's like trying to kind of question kirk's orders like why aren't you attacking them now you need to attack them now and he's a he's a jerk to spock which i'm sure you guys noticed yeah this was a great scene where this asshole racist guy styles he was like oh can you decode their transmission and styles is like well i bet spock could and then kirk is like i'm assuming you're complimenting spock's decoding prowess and Styles is like, I don't know. <laughs> but that was a great, like, Kirk moment. Yeah, and we know? should mention the reason he said that is because the Romulans and the Vulcans look exactly alike, basically. 
Yes, and I love that they built that into the plot, and then they immediately were like, don't be a racist about it. Like, the Mm -hmm. way that Kirk bats that away in the scene that Clint just described is great. And then, again, I'm coming from it backwards, so in TNG, I think, I think in TNG, yeah, it is in TNG, they explain how the Romulans and the Vulcans were initially one civilization then split apart. And so knowing this ahead of time, I like seeing the back end of it, but they like set up that they look similar and then they're like, but that's no reason for you to make judgment about people. And that was a really Mm -hmm. like complex, interesting, deftly maneuvered little bit of writing. For sure. And I also just want to hook in one real world connection is George Takei. He was put in an internment camp as a child. That's right. And that's because, you know, people thought that, you know, Japanese people were spies. So I thought this was like a really interesting, you know, parallel to that. And I was wondering what might have been going through George Takei's mind when he was doing this episode, because that's kind of like the same thing with Spock, right? Because he is of a similar race to these enemies. Now people are thinking he might be a spy. Yeah, I was I was wondering like what the what the writers were trying to get at here, and what I this might be wrong, but what I thought was even when humans have gone past like they've evolved past racism in you know the twenty third century, there is still going to be a discrimination that humans have. Like it's part of who we are. We are always going to have an us and them. You know, we have a multicultural bridge crew now, so we're you know we're not worried about a Japanese you know, guy or a a black woman on the bridge. We're now concerned about this person that's different. And I don't know if that's kind of the the direction Mm -hmm. the writers were taking, that that's just who humans are. Well, I don't know if it's like, this is who we are, but it's so easy for racism and distrust to leak in, you know, at any time. That's why you have to be so vigilant against guarding against it, because it can leak into your command structure at any time and and cause problems. Well, I think this is something that, We've, we criticized earlier episodes for being so didactic and heavy-handed and and being like, here is the message and like hitting us over the head instead of trusting the audience to engage with complexity. And I think this episode does engage, like it trusts that the audience can handle a complex issue. So the plot resolves, but these questions that you're posing are not easily answered because we're dealing with big concepts. And I I think this is actually a huge step up from those other ones where they try to reduce it. Instead, here they're making it bigger and, and expansive. I, I also mm-hmm. think there's an interesting moment where the navigator, whose name I've completely forgotten, who's racist. Uh, Mr. Styles. Mr. Styles. Mr. Styles gets in peril through machinations that aren't that exciting and Spock rescues him. And then there is a scene where he even like he says, Spock rescued me. He risked his own life. He didn't need to do that. And there's a Grey's Anatomy episode where, which is set in a hospital and a guy comes in the hospital and he has like a Nazi tattoo or whatever. And he gets treated by a black nurse and the black nurse saves his life. Uh, and it, it's a very similar scene. And so I think it, it becomes that, that narrative of engaging with complexity when we're confronted with things like nationalism and racism and how do you react 
is kind of timeless. Yeah, like the only way mm. to uh, get past bigotry is to embrace diversity because experiences with a diverse group of people breaks those barriers down and you just start to see them as another person and you don't look at certain adjectives that describe them. Uh, Hooray, equality and diversity. Well, and the other thing that I like about episodes like this is that like, I recently read a book about democracy, and it was saying that, like, democracy is inherently chaotic. And if you like order, that can seem really bad. And then fascism starts to seem appealing. People who are drawn to fascism are not illogical. They're, they, they're repulsed by discord. And so if you're truly committed to democracy, you have to be committed to, like, disagreement and discord and difficulty. And these episodes, I think, do a good job of not making that like an after school everything's rosy picture but being like this is important to us and so when there's like difficulties you know kirk is going to push back people are going to participate it's going to be thorny but that's okay Mm -hmm. yeah okay guys so let's talk a little bit about the romulan war i thought this was really interesting i liked the way that they set it up one of the, inter- I think, most interesting thing about the war is they said they've never seen each other during the war. I looked it up. The war w- was like 100 years before this. It took place over four years. It was fought in primitive ships using nuclear weapons. And yeah, they didn't have like ship-to-ship visual communication, but they could, I think, radio contact, right? So yeah, they- it was interesting because it was a war against someone you never saw. So I think that was the most fascinating part of the war. We've talked about, is this a metaphor for World War II? And I think that that's really strong argument that it is. America was in World War II for four years. It ended with nuclear weapons. And World War II, if you read a lot of contemporaneous fiction or nonfiction, they talk about never seeing the enemy. This is when there's a lot more air-based fighting. What am I looking for? Air Force. And so this idea of like, this is the enemy and we hate them, but you may never actually set sight on them. That theme kind of comes out of that. Oh, that's interesting. So like war is becoming less of a personal thing and it's it's becoming more distant. Basically. Yeah. Like, Even in fiction from World War One, they talk about like you're in trenches and you just like put your arm up and mm-hmm. shoot at them. And so this depersonalization of like, who is this person that I'm actually fighting against? Because not to get super weird and geopolitical and historical, (laughs) but I do. But like the world wars became this moment where like the original conflicts spiraled so that, you know, you would enlist because your country said it was your patriotic duty, but you don't really know what the original conflict is. If we even think about the American Civil War or the Revolution, like the people who would fight had an intimate knowledge of what those debates were and what the conflict was about. But by the time you get to the world wars, people have no idea. Like the original debate is super abstracted. And so your enemy is a concept. And I think that that's reflected in this very concrete way when they say we never saw each other. Yeah, the conflict itself, because it comes from what, like I said, what would have been the last season of Enterprise. But basically what happened is humans are brand new to the world stage. Um, They have the Vulcans to help them out and to guide them along the way. The, the other races that are kind of adjacent to the Vulcans and the humans at this time are the Andorians, the Tolarians, 
I think that's what they're called. The Tellarites. The, te- the Tellarites. And the Andorians, the Vulcans, and the Tellarites don't like each other. And that's a big thing in Enterprise is like the, the kind of the mm-hmm. conflict between them. But they're all able to group together and be allies, much like in a World War II thing where the British and the French as allies with each other, World War One as well, and the Russians, you know, in, in World War II, like they're all going to work together to go against another enemy. Um, so the Vulcan, I'm sorry, the, the Romulans are threatened by this new alliance. So it's it's the Romulans versus this kind of proto-Federation group. And the, the this group totally defeats the Romulans. They establish this neutral zone. And then the Romulans go offline for 100 years until today when, you know, the outposts start getting destroyed. And we see the Romulans for the first time. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the conceit of the Romulans and kind of the direction that they decided to take them in. I'm going to go ahead and say I hate the whole Romulus and Remus thing. I think it's so corny. (laughs) Like, why would there be another civilization with an adjacent mythos attached to early, you know, third, fourth century BC human history? It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it's fine to, like, base them on Romans, right? Because we all got the vibe that these are basically space Romans. That's kind of, like, what the Romulians seem to be. They call, yeah, they have Praetors and Centurions and stuff. Centurions mm-hmm. and, yeah. And the, they have they, Latin um, names, too. Like, Dominicus. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, I didn't catch that. That's funny. Yeah, but I will say, I don't think it's fair to take pot shots at Star Trek for that. Because, like, Game of Thrones does that so much. Uh, as well like it pops up all the time Mm -hmm. i was reading that on this ship and i just want to say we we only ever see one shot from this ship basically and it's the the bridge of the ship with this tiny console in the middle actually with like four screens on it and there's always like six people crowded around it i just thought that was kind of funny uh longtime watchers of star trek might recognize the captain of the romulan vessel I did. I did not, but as soon as you said you might recognize him, I'm like, he did seem familiar. So who is he? He's Spock's papa. <gasps> yeah, it's Sarek. Oh, uh, yeah, Sarek, zero yeah. surprise. He actually plays a couple of different roles in TOS. I, I, apparently, the actor who, who, who plays um, Sarek and the, the captain in this episode was the first person to ever be a Vulcan, a Romulan, and Klingon. He, he'll show up as a Klingon in another episode in TOS. Oh, oh cool. He's a good actor. Cool. I really yeah, like oh, him. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. He, I was reading that they couldn't get, they didn't have like the money to give everybody prosthetic ears. So they adapted by putting these stupid fucking helmets on all the other. <laughs> I like how dumb the helmets looked. I think they looked absolutely stupid, but I loved the way they look for some reason. I like the way it made them look like hawks and they were like yes. weird Roman stuff. It was so weird. It is exactly the look in rick and morty when there's like a character that morty or no rick dated and then she married like a dude do you know what i'm talking about yeah it's hawk person is his name yeah hawk person it's the exact same look I was thinking um, Harvey Birdman, attorney at uh-huh. law. Very similar as well. Yeah, very similar. But no, uh, now that you mention it, the bird per- his name's Bird Person, not Hawk Person. I have a note here that says all the Romulans look like Adam Driver because I really felt that way <laughs> while I was watching the episode. <laughs> they all have the same long face. Uh, but yeah, and the, the other the other thing that they have is they all have a giant painted warbird on the bottom of their ship, which I noticed TNG did not continue with because it's it looks like something at a 
like Mad Max. It's it's kind of ridiculous. It, it seems like he's like a like you know the Romulan commander is like a sixteen year old who got his first bird of prey. Yeah. His friend has like, oh, what are you gonna do with it? It's like I'm gonna put a sick bird on it. He's like, whoa, cool man. Well, if we want to get back to the World War II parallels, they did paint things on their planes, right? That's true. That is true. But sexy women—that's the only thing you can you can paint on a vessel. That's I'm acceptable. sorry, Claire. Are you saying a bird is not a sexy woman? Yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> we all wanted to see a giant bare-breasted woman on the bottom of their uh, warbirds, but I know that's what I wanted. I know you meant bear as b a r e, but all I pictured was b e a r breasted woman. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, like, we're not going to get into all the beats of this episode because it, it's really worth a watch. I think this is the one that, like, if you haven't seen any, you could just start with this one. It's it's basically like a, a chess move or a chess game between the two captains. They are constantly mm-hmm. anticipating the next person's move. And, and Kirk will be like, no, don't do that because that's what I would do. And do this instead. And then, you know, the, the Romulan captain will say the exact same thing. And they're just basically, like, trying to find any tiny room to outmaneuver each other. This is an episode when people would ask, why is Star Trek good? Or like, why did the classic Star Trek become a thing? This is an episode I would point them to. Yeah, this episode and last episode that didn't even get on the air originally. But I'm like, I felt like that was a turning point. Or even as early as the Menagerie, I felt like it was kind of figuring itself out and was figuring its world out. And this is kind of like... They're definitely like hitting their stride at uh, during this episode. Well, I feel like they're starting to lean into the characters. Like they're they're being more confident in who the characters are, and they're also doing this thing of like we're grounded enough that we can world build, and that ends up being so expansive. Like the the, the characters have become the base of the show, the foundation, and that strong foundation allows them to kind of do this imagination in really big exciting ways do we want to talk about the action in this episode because that was probably the the big biggest part about it i feel i don't know what to say except that i feel like this is the first episode that felt like an action show and it was really Mm -hmm. cool and i didn't realize how much i missed this until i saw this episode that in tng and ds9 there are action episodes all the time and obviously jj abrams reboots are super action-packed but it was only until this episode that I realized the TOS is absolutely lacking action until now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, I think it did a, a good job, too, of mixing the action with the thoughtfulness of, mm-hmm. of you know, war and being enemies with people. So I thought it really did a good job of integrating and balancing the two. It was an exciting episode. Some notes that I said about the action was uh, it's kind of interesting that there are there's like a chain of command. Like you can definitely see the World War Two stuff in the in the action scene because there's a chain of command for firing the damn weapon. Because I don't know if we've actually seen the Enterprise fire a weapon quite yet. Like there is a firing crew that that Kirk commands them to fire and then the camera will go down to them and then they ready the photon torpedoes or whatever and then they fire. Um, and apparently mm. they they nix that after this. It's just you just fire from the bridge. There's no like sub crew like there would be on a destroyer or or whatever on a battleship. We got a little taste of that in the episode with Baylock. That's right. Because they had to do the the phaser drills and stuff, and they're like, "Oh, phaser phaser crew ready, phaser crew reporting mm-hmm. ready status." So that's right. Yeah. The, the they also 
uh, also with World War II is, and I, I was reading about this. They, uh, I didn't catch it in the episode, but the 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 phasers are attuned for depth explosion, depth charges, like proximity. So it's like what a depth charge mm. would be, where they would drop it down on a submarine, right? The cloaked Romulan yeah. ship. So it's it's all about just it explodes at a certain time. Super submarine-ish. Yep. 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 Yeah. The the thing I, I really liked about the action is that whenever because the Romulan warbirds just getting fucked up the entire time they are definitely the underdogs in this. But anytime there is an explosion on the Romulan ship, the, the ceiling like collapses in and it looks like yeah. <laughs> it looks like drywall. And it's just every time they get hit, it's just like drywall falling from the ceiling. Um, and I just yeah. thought that that was kind of funny. Just like this white powder on these. Right. Yeah, on this this cluster of four helmeted guys. (laughs) Four Adam drivers. Yeah, I just want to echo too, like, yeah, the cat and mouse game, like the mind game between Kirk and the Romulan commander was just great. I like too how they kind of recognized each other as as good opponents. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm kind of sad that he died this episode because he would have been such a great reoccurring villain. And it was it was kind of sad. I don't know what we'll see in the future, but I would have loved to see him come back and have them duel some more. Yeah, I felt the same way, Clint. I had, like, a real moment of sadness when he died. And I think that this speaks to the, like, what we've wanted all along of a worthy, fully developed antagonist. And we finally get it, and he dies. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's why people love Khan so much, because he's Kirk's equal. Yeah, yeah, he's a great... He's a great villain. I think, too, he also, Khan links, and we, we'll talk about this more, but he links into the history of the Star Trek Earth universe, which I think is really interesting. So I think that's part of re- the reason he's he's a good villain as well. I hate to do this, but I did want to throw a little bit of shade at their geopolitical thinking. Although now that we're talking, maybe there's an explanation for it. But like the whole thing is that there's a neutral zone, right? And mm-hmm. the Romulans violate it by going, so the Romulans are on one side and Earth is on the other and there's a neutral zone in the middle. And the Romulans en- exit the neutral zone and blow up a bunch of Earth posts and then are trying to get back home. And Kirk is following them and there's this whole, like, we have to get to them before they get back to the neutral zone, blah, 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 or we've crossed in the neutral zone. And I just wanted to be like, All that the Enterprise needs to do is show that they encountered the Romulan ship in their territory, and then the Federation would have the high ground to say, you violated the treaty, you went into our neutral space. We don't have to hunt you down right now, because now we have the moral high ground and we can do whatever we want. Like, we can... We have the the grounds to go to your home world and blow your capital up and nobody could get mad at us. But instead, they use it as justification for Kirk to hunt them down. And this is a problem that I have with all of Star Trek's all the time, is that they make it seem like the Enterprise is the only actor, when in reality, the Enterprise is like one dude out and... Like, the political ramifications of someone crossing the neutral zone and you not murdering them gives you so much fucking power that I'm kind of like, Kirk, no. <laughs> See, the problem is, is though, that there's no formal relations with this other government, right? Well, but the reality is, like, the, the power struggle between two governments is less important. Like, that is always going to happen. It's, like, what their allies are going to do. 
And so if the Federation can be like, well, they fucked up, so all y'all should ally with us instead of them, that's all they needed. But there's, there's no other allies. It's only two entities. It's the Federation versus the Romulans, right? You're you're assuming there's other actors in this conflict, right? But there there isn't any other actors. And the thing is the Enterprise and the Federation, right? They're trying to avoid war. They don't care if they have the justification to wage war on the Romulans or not. It's not about that. It's trying to just avoid a war, right? But if you're trying to avoid a war, like I also don't think hunting down the other ship and killing them avoids war. I think that gives you grounds for war. What the Federation should have done is like, look, you did the shit, so make amends or there will be war. Like physically taking the amends doesn't prevent the war. I guess you're right. There's no diplomatic channels for them to demand those things is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, there's no there's no using this let the it doesn't give you leverage because it's not really leverage, right? You'd be right if it was on Earth, right, and one country attacked another, and then there were other countries around that could help enforce some sort of, you know, penalty. But there is there's no outside force other than these two. These two powers are either in a state of war or they're not in a state of war. Well, and I guess this is where I say like I've backed into them as villains because mm-hmm. this like cascading series of allies plays out more in DS9 and a little bit in TNG, but mostly in DS9 and then also like in World War One and World War Two, this like cascading, like, well, this is my ally, so I have to do it. Um, so I guess you're right that I shouldn't be too shitty about them, but I feel like a time traveler sometimes where I'm like, well, in the future, I know that you're allies with these people and what are the Klingons doing in this time? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think that's a good point though. I mean, it doesn't matter if they have justification to start a war with the Romulans or not. They don't want a war. And this whole episode is trying to figure out how to prevent a war with the Romulans. And two, they don't, they don't come to the cl- conclusion that if we leave them alone, we can do this diplomatically, right? The conclusion is we have to show force to them. Or so they're, they're gonna afraid start, of us. Yeah, or they're going to push us around. And that's what that's what Spock said, right? It's like we got to show them yeah. that they can't fuck with us or else they're going to start fucking with us. Well, and there's also an interesting point where we don't, and this goes back to like our discussion about J.J. Abrams. It's never, at least as far as I remember, it's never addressed why the Romulans went and destroyed the outposts, except that it was orders. And so the Romulan captain is like, well, we had to do this, but now I just want to get back home. Is it? It's. I thought it was an unsanctioned attack. Corey might be able to help more, but I thought basically like these are a group of people and this captain specifically think they think the Federation is weak. Oh, and if they can go and carry out this attack, they can go back to Romulus and show everyone that the Federation is weak and we can attack them and win. So I thought that was the captain's motivation. I would love to get courage to jump in on this because I thought it was sort of left open-ended of like why this was occurring in the first place. Uh, from what I understand, they there was a Praetor that was a sponsor of the, what they were doing and they were kind of there in service of this Praetor. Much like the Roman Empire, you would have a general who was in charge of their their own legions and this this general was probably also a consul or way up in government but the 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 military itself was not centralized in during the 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 roman republic so i thought Mm. that it was that they had a praetor who was a sponsor they're out doing things and that's why there was some friction between 
the captain, uh, the Romulan captain and his second officer, because the second officer was like, we need to do this to like establish glory for our, our sponsor. And the captain's like not on board with this, but he has his orders and, you know, he's going to carry them out, but he's not going to like it. But yeah, I think you guys hit it on the head that this was the French Federation needed to keep this as a defensive war. They needed to show that if you come on our side, this is what's going to happen to your ships. Uh, this We, we are not going to provoke you. We're not going to go into the neutral zone. We're not even going to, you know, chase you. We're just going to protect us and look what happens when you do that. And I don't think it was like a, if, if the Romulans at all, we don't, we don't know specifically the motivations, but if, if the Romulans at all, this was a state sponsored thing, then um, they would think twice. And if this was a private sponsored thing, then they would definitely think twice and not do it again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's also very going like to circle back to our early discussions, very cold war to be like, but I'm not going to cast the first stone, but if you throw a stone in my yard, I'll fucking chop your head off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also just want to have a quick complaint about where, you know, they send word to the Federation. They're like, hey, we're tracking down this bird of prey. Like, do you want us to enter the neutral zone or not? Blah, blah, blah. And then after the fact, they get a communique that says, hey, do what you think is best, Kirk. We'll (laughs) stand by any decision you make. And so that was the same thing like in the menagerie, right? Where they're like, you cannot go to this planet. No way. Death penalty. And then they go to it. And then afterwards, the Federation is like, uh, you know what? It's not that big a deal. You do whatever you want, Kirk. Well, that's why I really see the the wagon train in space, because in the West and a lot of Western television in the 50s and 60s, you don't have the central government out where the, the story is being told. You have lawmen and you have cowboys who uh, kind of interpret the law and have to make decisions based on their intuition and they don't always have the 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 sanction and the permission to do things but they've been put out there because they have the the ability to make those decisions yeah it it is that wagon train in the space that we need to remember that's the the blueprint they're working from not an actual proto-military institution which we keep wanting Mm -hmm. them to be and (laughs) i i think which maybe they evolve into Mm -hmm. yeah i think so yeah, I think you hit hit the nail on the head there. Is, you know, we're still in an evolution period. So. Do we want to get to uh, the saddest part of the episode? Oh no, what's the saddest part? Tom yeah. Tomlinson dies. So oh, there's yeah. Yeah, that one guy in the in the firing bay. Uh, what's his name? Captain or Mister Styles, the jerk, has to go down there and and help out. And they are firing on the Romulans. And then there's like a gas leak. I don't know if it was due to damage. I think it's a coolant. It was a coolant leak. I think leak. it was a coolant was it, leak. Was it because yeah. of damage or was it just like a random? It had to have been like because of the damage. It, we yeah, ju- it was because We of just damage. see it starting to leak into the, the weapons bay. And Spock runs in there and finishes off the firing sequence and pulls out Styles. But Tomlinson was just about to be married that morning. And uh, he was tragically killed. And my first thought... <laughs> oh, Miss Tomlin. My first thought was that what his wife is not... Or not a wife, because it didn't even become official. She's not getting any sort of a pension. And if I was her, that'd be the thing I'd be the most bummed out about. <laughs> ten, more, ten more seconds of ceremony, and she'd be getting a sweet pension. <laughs> well, that's true. She... But, yeah, hot damn. And I just want to say, at first, I thought it was Scotty's wedding because he was walking her down the uh, aisle. I did too. So I'm like, oh. No, Scotty's like, oh, her Scotty's dad. Scotty's getting married. Oh, what? No, no wait, it's well, her dad. It's, 
He gave her away. Yeah, he gave her away. Yeah. He's her father figure. But yeah, at the beginning of the episode, like I, we see them, you know, together or whatever. And I'm like, what are these two doing on that? And then you see him a second time. I'm like, oh, one of them's going to die. That's the only reason they're here. Yeah. And then sure enough, someone did. I wish that like they at least like got a little bit like they were there just to die. I wish they got a little bit more like characterization or or something. They were just like, you know. Well, I, just thought it was I had the same thing. Like, as soon as they were like battle stations, I was like, oh, the slice of life on the Enterprise is nice. But yeah, it was pretty obvious that one of them was going to die. But I don't think that's necessarily a weakness. Like, I think earlier, earlier, more recent Star Trek iterations and more recent shows do similar things. They bring these characters in to give you a slice of normalcy and then show you how war disrupts it or whatever. Mm hmm. Its obviousness is kind of part of its appeal, right? That's why we keep making mm -hmm. World War II era themed movies. The only rewrite that I would do for this episode is that Tomlinson wouldn't have died through passing out because of coolant gas. I wanted there to be like a <laughs> breach on the ship and he like throws his body into the breach to like plug up the hole or something a little bit more heroic. But yeah, he just kind of passes mm -hmm. away like in his sleep, um, which isn't a very heroic death. <laughs> I would have liked to see Tomlinson pull, like, a Bill Weasley and survive, but be, like, horribly disfigured and have his wife be like, nothing's changed, I'm still going to marry you. And he's he has to be in a uh, wheelchair tank A wheelchair his whole tank, life. Yeah. and he was like, We're... somehow he has the ability to speak, and he's like, you can leave, I understand. And she's like, what? No, I won't. Kirk just, like, hangs his head. Kirk hangs his head, and he's like, well, <laughs> shit, we got to go back to Talos 4 again. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're doing this monthly now, aren't we? We'll never have children, but I'll still love you, even though children is the only thing I want, because I'm a lady. <laughs> and did his death, like, serve any purpose? Like, the only thing I... is like, he was there just to die. Like, I was wondering if the wife was going to become racist against Romulans, or maybe, like, refuse to become racist, you know? Or it kind of shows... How, but I feel like it was just there to like get you kind of like they were just there to gut punch you, right? To just yeah. be like, I mean, oh my god, this person died. This is you a war. This is a war movie essentially because the point of war movies is that it's frivolous and arbitrary who dies and who lives, and that's what we're seeing. Yeah, and I just wanted to talk to um, kind of about like the the racism we see in this episode because this is a very like anti racism episode, which it should be. <laughs> Just as a formal statement here at said podcast is done, we are against racism. Yeah. But it was like interesting because I feel like it was a type of racism as someone in 2021 that like I don't really see a lot where it's this racism that comes from old grudges. You know, like living in America, we don't have a lot of those like wars or, or that sort of thing. But this is like, you know, and we've seen this from O'Brien too, where you hate these people because of some grievance in your past. Mm -hmm. You know, we've been at war with the Romulans and they're evil and now we're racist against them. And I feel like that might be a very like European or, you know, like post-World War II thing where you're like, oh God, those Germans, I hate them. They killed my brother, you know? And so that was something that they were dealing with. But it was just interesting to see because I don't know, I would say we see like a rational you know, race racism, you know, where it's like, oh, I don't like black people or like Jews are, you know, evil, blah, blah, blah. But it was interesting to see like, not a justification, but just like a different kind of racism that I'm not just not used to seeing anymore. So it's nice to see that like, maybe our society has gone past 
racism a little bit now. I don't know. What do you, would you guys, did you guys kind of pick up on that? That's an interesting idea. Like that prejudice comes from past grievances instead of prejudice comes from these diffuse institutional things. I think that it makes sense in the sixties for something like that to happen, right? Like it makes sense that you would have an episode of people being like, I fought in World War II and watched my people die and survive the Holocaust. And so I hate German people, but my children don't. And I have to deal with that. That plot line makes a lot of sense. But, and I I don't mean this as a criticism of Star Trek, but like, yeah, racism and prejudice functions on a more, or maybe like a less logical one-to-one function because we're obviously in 2020 and there's still tons of issues where we're in 2021. And so I think that plotline makes sense given its time. And and maybe that's why a lot of white people struggle with race and racism in 2021 is they're like, well, why would I hate black people? I don't hate black people, but there are institutions that were set up when it was perfectly acceptable to hate black people that we haven't fixed. So I think the struggle now is more like legacy that we can't see the origins of anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Whereas then it was maybe more like direct. I get why you feel this way, but you shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. That was just something that kind of like I noticed and I thought it was interesting. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that was a good episode that and a good discussion. So that is our show for today. Thanks for listening. And until we see you next, keep on trekking. Kapah!